Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike. Today, I want to share with you my ultimate summer movie survival guide, how to save you time, how to save you money at the movie theater. And this survival guide includes my top five must-see movies of the summer. In the movie review, we'll be talking about Fast X. Most importantly, how ridiculous it was, and do we need to see another Fast movie after this installment? And in the trailer park, we'll be talking about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and how Tom Cruise performed his own stunts in this movie. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being subscribed. Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie crew. And now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. Movie crew, it is my favorite time of year. It is summer blockbuster season. I already go to the movies a lot. But I get even more excited to go to the movies even more around summer blockbuster season because you get all the big action movies, the movies where you can turn off your brain, throw some popcorn in your face and just sit there and enjoy it in the cool, dark theater to escape that sun. It is my favorite time of year. The time of year I've looked forward to ever since I was a kid. So I think I probably associate a lot of that with my childhood. But man, there's some great movies coming out this year. I do want to share with you my top five must-see movies of the summer. But before we get into that, since I go to the movies so much, I've developed this list of skills on how to save time and how to save money. And I realized that maybe not everybody knows about these. So I wanted to share this with you to keep some extra cash in your pocket, especially if you have a big family or you're like me and go to the movie theater a lot. I'm talking one to two times a week. These are things that I've learned that have saved me time, have saved me money, and I want to share them with you. So let's get into it. At number five, don't see anything in 3D. It was cool, but hasn't really been cool since about 2010. Avatar came out in 2009, and it really pushed that technology. But I find that after about 
15, maybe 20 minutes, the novelty of it quickly wears off. So I think it's kind of a fad. And when movies were cashing in more on it, they were actually doing some things that would benefit 3D. So maybe it'd be like bubbles blowing at you or some kind of missile shooting at you just to make it feel like they were actually utilizing that technology. But since then, it's really gone to the wayside. So I'm actually surprised they still offer this feature. I feel like they are just tacking it on to take your money. So especially if you're going to these Disney movies and it's adding on another five bucks. So it's not worth it. Along those same lines, if a movie wasn't shot with IMAX cameras, it's not worth seeing in IMAX. What this means is, so usually movies will advertise that it was shot on IMAX cameras, so watch for that in trailers. And it's usually the big directors with big budgets who are able to do this. One movie in particular is Dune 2 coming out later this year, which I've been talking about. That movie was shot with IMAX cameras, therefore, it does utilize the whole entire IMAX screen. So I think it's really only worth it if it was shot and that's how it's intended to be seen. Otherwise, they're just kind of getting you for more money. So that's my number five tip. At number four, go to an independent theater, support local. There's a movie theater I love in Nashville called The Bell Court. Now your local movie theater may not get all the big movies every single week, but it's a really great way to support a business. So go there, buy a bunch of snacks, which are usually cheaper, along with the ticket prices being cheaper. And I find that they also offer more special deals than the big theater chains. So find your local theater, sign up for their emails, and utilize that because I feel like your dollar goes further at a local theater. And it just feels like it matters a little bit more. I find the experience is a lot more calm at a local theater. And you can also find more independent movies. So it's expanding your mind at the same time. But also at some of these, they will get the bigger movies later and you can watch them for cheaper. So support your local independent theater and save money. At number three, go catch a matinee. I love a matinee. So at any movie theater, tickets are going to be cheaper, sometimes 30% less if you go during the day, it's also less crowded. And if you go to a matinee, make sure to eat lunch before so you can save money on snacks and then just go to dinner after. Kelsey and I love doing that. We go to a matinee and then have our dinner after so we don't spend a lot of money on drinks and snacks. And another thing I found that not everybody knows is Friday is no longer the official release date for movies. For any major release, they have movie time starting on Thursday. I think it's trying to expand and give people more options. So the more days they can offer, the more times. It just helps these movies make money. So if you want to go to see a brand new movie the week it's released and you don't want to sit in a crowded theater, check it out on a Thursday. At number two, this one is going to save you time. If you don't want to watch the previews, get to the movie about 15 to 18 minutes after the start time that is listed based upon your comfort level on how close you like to cut it. There is always at least 20 minutes of previews for every movie. So say you're going to a 7 p.m. showtime, get there at 7.18. That's what I will do. Gives you time to find your seat, which most movie theaters now offer the option for you to pick your seats. The only thing I run into sometimes, if you cut it a little bit too close, chances are somebody's gonna get there early and be like, oh, I wanna take this seat. So sometimes you will have to kick somebody out of your seat but hey, you picked that seat, you paid for that seat, you are entitled to that seat. So 
That's why I would say, depending on your comfort level, if you don't want to deal with that, get there 15 minutes after the time that is listed. And this is also because for me, because I've already seen all these trailers and it's hard for me to sit through them time and time again. So I try to time it out perfectly. So usually that 18 minutes in mark is perfect for me. And if you didn't know this, different genres of movies have different amounts of trailers. So typically they have 20 minutes, but if it's an animated movie, those will have about 17 to 18 minutes of previews. And that's usually because they have less G and PG rated movies to advertise to you. So animated movies will always have less. Everything else, PG-13, R-rated, will always have about 20 minutes. The ones that usually have longer preview times are superhero movies. Those usually have 22 minutes of previews. And the reason this is, is because they know the audiences are going to be bigger. So they throw more trailers on that to advertise more and also give people more of a buffer time to get into their seat. So if it's a really big blockbuster, it's going to have about 22 minutes of previews. So that is some useful information if you like to get there right on time. And then the last preview that always runs is the theater's commercial. And at this point, I have the Regal commercial down to every single line. I could recite it in my sleep. It actually haunts me in my sleep because I've seen it so much. Not even that great of a commercial, and they've been running it for almost three years now, so they need to update that one. And then my number one tip to save you money at the movies this summer is you gotta sign up for a membership pass or just a loyalty program. The difference between the two, a membership pass, you have to pay usually a monthly fee, but it's gonna get you into more movies. So if you go to the movies a lot, so the theater I love and have the most of in Nashville is Regal, so I'm a part of the Regal Crown Club. I find that even if I had more options, this is the one I would pick because it's really catered to people who go to the movies a lot. They give you a lot of extra points per visit. They're going to give you a lot of deals. We use them a lot for concessions. So every time we end up do getting concessions, we rarely pay for them because we go to the movies so much. So other movie theaters have this too. Alamo Draft House. If I had one here, I would definitely have that one. Probably over Regal just because I love Alamo Draft House. There's also AMC Stubbs Premiere, Fandango VIP. And most of these, if you go to the movies at least two times a month, they're going to pay for themselves. Again, this is not a commercial. This is just me trying to save you money. But even if you don't want to pay for a membership pass to a movie theater, you can always just sign up for their loyalty program. You get the app, you sign up with your email, and then you just build up points for going to see movies. Get yourself a free popcorn. Get yourself a free drink. You're going to save money. So now that we know how to save money at the movies this summer, let's talk about my top five most anticipated movies that I can't wait to see. Kicking it off with number five, I have Transformers Rise of the Beast from director Steve Cappell Jr. Has a budget of $200 million and a runtime of two hours and seven minutes. Transformers movies just feel like summer to me. And I don't know why I get so excited about these movies because they really haven't been good since the 2000s. I take that back. 2018's Bumblebee reignited those first feelings I had going to see those initial movies with Shia LaBeouf in theaters. That one got it right. It made it fun again. It made it more exciting. They got the action right in those movies. I think it got to a point where they were making so many, it was hard to differentiate all of the Transformer stories. And they also weren't getting great leads after Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf no longer starred in the movies. 
Haley Steinfeld in 2018's Bumblebee did really well. So I have a lot of hope going into this movie. This one takes place in the 1990s, so it would also feel very nostalgic to me. My favorite decade because it's the decade I grew up in. And there's just something special about hearing Optimus Prime's voice and all the other Autobots' voices in a theater. Just that rumble, that real low speaking voice just sounds like summer to me. So at number five, I have Transformers Rise of the Beasts coming out on June 9th. At number four, I have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse coming out on June 2nd. Since it's an animated movie on this large of a scale, you have three directors, Joaquin Dos Santos, Justin K. Thompson, and Kemp Powers, with a runtime of two hours and 16 minutes, makes it the longest-running animated movie made by a Hollywood studio ever. So at 136 minutes, it beat out The Lord of the Rings from 1978, which was an animated movie that ran for 132 minutes, and it also beat out Disney's Fantasia from 1940, which was 124 minutes, but this movie cost $150 million to make, which is an increase from part one, where they only spent $90 million, a mere $90 million. So this one's going to be bigger, more elaborate. There are more Spider-Man in this movie that you can count. And I was just looking on Marvel's Instagram at all the posters for this movie and seeing all the individual Spider-Man, like Spider-Punk. It looks like this movie is going to be a really fun time. I guess why I put this movie at number four and not my number one, even though Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel character, I don't want to overhype it at this point because... Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is my favorite Spider-Man movie. I don't think it's the best Spider-Man movie, but for my own personal taste, it is my favorite because I feel like it was the Spider-Man movie that took all the rules out of what it means to make a Spider-Man movie. So I guess a little bit, I am worried that it's going to take away from that movie. Even if it's just 10% not as good as that original movie, it's going to hurt me a little bit. So I decided to put this one at number four even though I already have my tickets purchased to go see it opening day. Again, that movie is coming out on June 2nd. At number three on my most anticipated movies of the summer, I put Barbie coming out on July 21st from director Greta Gerwig. It has a runtime of one hour and 40 minutes. It cost $100 million to make. And why this movie ranks so high for me is mainly because I don't know a whole lot about it. Even after watching the trailer and reading about it, it's kind of a mystery exactly what this movie is going to be. It's giving off vibes of a meta comedy. It's about Barbie getting expelled from Barbie land and then going into the real world to try and find her true purpose, to try to find happiness. So this movie is either going to be great or going to be terrible. I don't think there's any in between because just the idea of a Barbie movie at this scale with a very renowned director, it just gives a lot of conflicting feelings. So for me, the anticipation lies in the mystery. I want to see Margot Robbie as Barbie. I want to see Ryan Gosling as Ken. But mostly I just enjoy that this doesn't feel like your typical summer blockbuster movie. It trades in the big action for big set design. So I think this could be the sleeper hit of the summer. At number two... I have Asteroid City coming out on June 23rd from director Wes Anderson, has a runtime of one hour and 45 minutes and a mere budget of only $25 million. That is pretty low for such a major release. And apparently Scarlett Johansson, who is in the movie, wanted to work with Wes Anderson so bad on this project that she only made $4,000 a week for her role. And she showed up on set just eight weeks after having a baby. 
So I don't know why she agreed to take such a low pay to be in this movie, especially after Wes Anderson wrote this character with her in mind. I think it comes down to actors just want the opportunity to be in a Wes Anderson film. It's so unlike anything else in Hollywood. And I feel like all of his films have become iconic. He is that kind of a director that if you star in one of his movies, you're going to be remembered for a long, long time. So it's astounding that there are so many A-list actors, including Tom Hanks in this movie, and it only costs $25 million. I would like for all of their salaries to be released so we can see how much each person was paid. It also gives me hope for Hollywood to continue to create movies about stories that are very obscure and promoting creativity in filmmaking and style and design where your story and the world you create is more important than who you have in the movie, even though there are a lot of great actors in this movie. But I feel like that is what's going to keep movies interesting. So I love that a movie like this can still be made by Wes Anderson. Also love that it's only an hour and 45 minutes. That's great for a Wes Anderson movie. So at number two, Asteroid City coming out on June 23rd. I'll definitely be going to watch that my birthday weekend. But at number one, my most anticipated movie of the summer, it's The Flash coming out on June 16th from director Andres Muschietti. It has a runtime of two hours and 24 minutes and a budget of about 200 to $220 million dollars making it one of the most expensive movies in DC superhero history. It's right at number six. So if you look at the top five, at number five is Man of Steel, which costs $225. And number four is The Dark Knight Rises, which costs $250 million. And number three is Black Adam, which costs $260 million to make. An added chunk of that was the reshoots for that movie. And number two is Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, which costs $300 million to make. And at number one, with over $300 million in the budget was Justice League. And you may be thinking, how is The Flash your number one most anticipated movie of the summer when you're such a big Marvel guy? I'll tell you why. I think it's because I'm shifting a little bit. Marvel movies will always be the movies I'm the most passionate about. They are my comfort movies. But when it comes to where I see superhero movies going, I'm a lot more excited for what DC has going on and I think this movie is going to be very different from anything we've seen in the last five years. I even saw Stephen King raving about this movie. A guy who does not like superhero movies whatsoever said he saw this movie and was moved by it. Said it was a great movie. James Gunn has been raving about this movie. Now he's a little bit biased because he's going over to DC to rebuild everything. But he says it's one of the best superhero movies ever made. So I am buying into the hype. I'm loving the look of Michael Keaton in this movie still. So I just haven't been this excited for a superhero movie probably since No Way Home. And right now, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 stands as my favorite superhero movie of the year. Probably my favorite movie of the year altogether outside of the genre. But I'm hoping this movie can dethrone it. I mean, you have two Batman in this movie. By the way, I know I pronounce Batman and Superman and Spider-Man differently. It's for comedic effect. I'm aware of it. But you have two of them. You have a Supergirl and you have two Flashes. I just think this movie is going to change my life. At least I'm banking on it too. That's why I put it at number one. Some honorable mentions that I'm also going to be seeing this summer and I'm pretty stoked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 
Mutant Mayhem coming out on August 4th from director Jeff Rowe with a runtime of one hour and 37 minutes. This movie looks like a lot of fun to me, and I'm loving the aesthetic on the branding on this movie. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny coming out on June 30th from director James Mangold. It is two hours and 22 minutes and the final Indiana Jones movie. Disney is putting the first four movies on Disney Plus beginning on May 31st, so I'm going to do a big binge on all the Indiana Jones movies. I've just never been that big of an Indiana Jones guy. And I've rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark pretty recently. I just feel like those movies feel very dated to me. So I didn't grow up with them and I didn't really have a whole lot of interest whenever they came back with them. But this one, I think it could be pretty good. I also just love the ending of things. The ending of movie franchises. I'll even watch the series finale to a show that I've seen no other episode of just to experience how they wrap something up. Like recently, I've never seen an episode of A Million Little Things watch the series finale just because I wanted to know. So I'm a big fan of endings. Also on July 21st, going up against Barbie is Oppenheimer from director Christopher Nolan with a budget of $100 million and a runtime of two hours and 30 minutes. It's hard for me to want to be excited about this movie. I love Christopher Nolan and it's about J. Robert Oppenheimer working on the Manhattan Project, which led to the development of the atomic bomb. But y'all, that sounds cool. The trailer looks a little bit boring. Maybe it's the black and white. Maybe it's the very dramatic acting. I like Christopher Nolan where he's doing a little bit more thought-provoking things. Interstellar in space, Inception with dreams, Memento with trying to remember all these things. This one seems like a little bit more of a standard movie from Christopher Nolan, but maybe he'll prove me wrong. I'm also looking forward to No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence. It's a comedy coming out on June 23rd, a mere one hour and 37 minutes on that one. Meg to the Trench coming out on August 4th, 2023. There's no runtime listed, but along the same lines of Cocaine Bear, it's always fun to see a big, crazy animal doing big, crazy animal things. We also have Blue Beetle from DC coming out on August 18th. I've gone back and forth about being excited about that movie. I love that it's our first Mexican superhero. I just feel like the VFX in that movie aren't really up to par for my liking. It almost looks like a straight-to-streaming movie to me. But hopefully that was just a look in the trailer and it looks better on the big screen. There's also this movie I've been seeing previews for. It's called Strays. It's an R-rated movie that it's live-action dogs, but they're all saying and doing really R-rated things. You have people like Will Ferrell. Jamie Foxx, Isla Fisher, Will Forte, and Josh Gad as voices. It looks like a really dumb movie. Maybe not one I'll be rushing to the theater to see, but I will watch it. I feel like it probably won't do that well at the box office because kind of a hard sell, an R-rated animal movie with live-action dogs. But I do enjoy a raunchy comedy, and it feels very 90s to me. It's like Homeward Bound, but with dirty words. So those are all the movies I'm excited to see this summer. What is lacking from my list this year is Disney. I am the least excited to see Disney movies this year than I've ever been. But coming out pretty soon, on May 26th, we have The Little Mermaid. And I think it's because I've been burned twice on live-action Disney movies. Pinocchio, terrible. Peter Pan and Wendy, terrible. Lifeless. Basically taking the exact same thing they did with the animated movie, and throwing together some cheap set design, subpar special effects, and calling it a live-action movie. Not doing it for me. So 
That is what's keeping me from really being excited about The Little Mermaid. And it's such a great animated movie. I don't think it needs to be remade live action. It doesn't demand it. And all the fish look weird to me. What I think will save it is Halle Bailey, who plays Ariel, is a really great singer. I saw her singing at Disneyland, A Part of Your World, and she crushed it. So I think the music could possibly save it in this movie. But I'm not the biggest fan of Disney songs. I know this is what everybody loves about Disney, but I would like a special version of Disney movies made for me that cuts out all the singing. Take out all the songs, just give me the story. I think that's why I lean more towards Pixar movies that don't do it as much. There's some Pixar movies that don't go into song at all, like the Toy Story movies. They don't just start singing randomly. Which brings me to the next movie that I'm surprised I'm not that excited for, but it's Elemental. And I think it's because it just feels like they've already made this movie. It feels like Inside Out. It feels a little bit like Soul. and feels a little bit like Zootopia. It just seems like they took all the elements from previous hits and made up a new movie that feels exactly the same. So instead of remaking another movie, they're just kind of using all the same parts to make a new movie. But this movie is coming out on June 16th and has a runtime of one hour and 42 minutes. It's also by the director who did The Good Dinosaur, which is the worst Pixar movie of all time. Why would you put another movie in their hands? But the story is about all these characters who live in a town. They all represent the four different elements. And you have the fire character, who is a female, and the water character, who is a male, forming an unlikely friendship. But it just feels like it lacks a little bit of imagination to me. Hopefully kids will love it. I'm still going to go watch it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. All right, we'll come back. I'll give you my review, spoiler free, of Fast X. And then we'll be talking about another big summer movie, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, after this. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. 
My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. About to get into another spoiler-free movie review. If you're watching on YouTube where I post all my individual movie reviews, I am not wearing sleeves in honor of Dom Toretto. I have a love-hate relationship with fast movies i haven't really expected them to be good since probably fast seven the last one with paul walker and now they are just big fun dumb movies and that is why i love them somebody asked me why do i like fast and the furious movies when i myself drive a ford focus and i remembered that fast and the furious movies used to be focused on what oh street racing they have come so far from that where I don't know if they are part superhero, if they are part just big soap operas. The way I think about it is they're almost like WWE wrestling. You don't watch WWE wrestling because you want to watch good old sports. I don't care that it's quote-unquote fake. I watch it because it's entertaining. That is why I watch Fast and the Furious movies. That is why I was still excited about this one and going into it. I didn't know if I was going to see this one and think I'm completely done because to be honest, after Fast 9, I was a little bit over it. I think probably after Fast 7, that was like the last real legit good Fast and the Furious movie. And now they are almost just over the top and comedic and very self-aware. So I don't really go into it watching for the plot. I don't go into it wanting anything to make sense. So going into this one, I was thinking as long as it's just entertaining, Big, dumb fun, that is all I want it to be. So the same reason I watch wrestling, the same reason when I was home at my parents' house recently why she watches novelas. It's not the best acting, it's not the best storyline, but there's something just comforting about them. But Fast X did deliver on that account. It did remind me, though, how big of a pop culture event these movies were when they came out back in the early 2000s. It sparked a culture among teenagers buying their first cars ever. Now they wanted to get big, souped-up race cars that they couldn't afford. You couldn't afford that $500 payment, kid. And even me, it sparked me wanting to get a car magazine. I don't know anything about cars. And for some reason, I was just so interested in looking at rims and looking what's underneath the hood. And if I could get a NOS tank in my car, my life would be set. These movies have come a long way since then. And... Fast X kind of in a way got back to his roots. So what this movie is about, it's really centered around the villain, which I think is what helped this movie be more entertaining. And you have Jason Momoa playing the son of a kingpin, 
that Dom and Paul Walker robbed money from in a previous Fast movie. So there's that connection at the very beginning of the movie. And I think Jason Momoa's character in this is what the franchise needed. A good villain and a cheesy, over-the-top, very extra villain, and he played it so well. I think that is what made this movie so enjoyable because in action movies, in fast movies, sometimes you always just have this big villain who is very cheesy at his core, but they try to come off as being very intimidating and very cool and you want to hate them, but it's just so cheesy you don't really buy into it. But Jason Momoa's character in this movie is kind of like Joker inside of a Cracker Jack box. He just wants to see the world burn, essentially, and he is not only trying to get revenge on Dom, But his whole thing is he doesn't just want to kill Dom. He wants to make Dom suffer and everybody in this movie suffer. So he has this sense of anarchy. He's not just trying to unleash havoc and destroy their cars and destroy their world. He wants to make their world burn as he takes them down. So I kind of like that they did that. This character who you hate but also kind of enjoy at the same time. And Jason Momoa plays it so well, so over the top, so extra from his fashion choices, from the way that he speaks, from his mannerisms. I got, I wouldn't say Heath Ledger Joker vibes, but maybe the Joker in the animated Batman. That's kind of what I felt like his inspiration was. So I found it enjoyable. And then you have Dom, the main character, the good guy, which after watching this movie, I'm not convinced that he is that good of a guy. If you look at Jason Momoa's villain character motives in this movie and Dom's motives, I'm not sure they're that much different. So I'm not sure any of the Fasters are the actual good guys in this. When you consider how much collateral damage they made in this movie, you have this bomb rolling through Rome on fire. And yes, they are the good guys trying to stop it, but everything they do to try and stop it almost causes as much damage as the bad guy here. I also wonder a lot of things about the Fasters. The Fasters, that is what I call all the quote-unquote good guys in this movie. Ludacris, Tyrese Gibson, Michelle Rodriguez. To me, they are the Fasters. I question their motives after this. I also question how exactly they make money. I know there's some references in this movie to their accounts getting drained. I really don't know how you make money saving the world through drag racing. I would like to get a look at their financial records when they sit down and do their taxes. I also wonder why their cars never require gas. And it feels like in the fast movies, they don't pay attention to any of the laws of physics, science. Everything goes out the window. I feel like even in superhero movies, there are some rules and restrictions that they follow. In this movie... Nothing matters. You can fly off a cliff and land and the tires don't explode. Everything is all cool because you are the good guy. I also wonder, and I'm not sure why Brie Larson was in this movie or Charlize Theron. There are a lot of pretty big, noteworthy actors in this that don't have to do a fast movie. Earlier I was talking how some actors, I feel like it's a badge of honor to be in a Wes Anderson movie. It's really good actors doing a smaller budget movie. So I feel like maybe it's the opposite case of actors also like being in big blockbusters that everybody is going to talk about and you don't really have to use any of your acting abilities in. So I wondered why them two in particular were in this movie and how the majority of this cast has been around throughout the entire franchise. And honestly, some of the actors in this, it's really the only time they get work. So I actually like the Fast franchise for that reason, for being loyal because it is about family and they keep around these actors when they could just switch them out, get cheaper actors or even get better actors. But it's cool that like Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson 
continue to get work on this scale. So even though their acting abilities are so limited, and I don't even find them to be that great of comedic actors. And in a franchise where it feels like they probably wrote the script with ChatGBT, what they lack on the page, they make up for with all the crazy action because... At two hours and 21 minutes, this movie sped by for me. Usually around the hour mark, I'm already thinking about, okay, how's this movie going to wrap up? How's it going to get to the falling action and the third act? But in this movie, with all the high-flying action, I never found myself being bored. And that is saying something about the Fast and the Furious movies. They are so incredibly entertaining. And there's just something about watching a chase scene, something about watching these very ridiculous things happen that just really sucks you in and keeps you there and really allows you to escape reality. And that is what I look for in a big summer blockbuster movie. And the Fast movies did it really well here. Not so much in Fast 9 because I felt like in that one, they kind of jumped the shark in that, especially with going to space, especially with the big opening scene in that movie. This one, in a way, felt a little bit more grounded in reality. Now, not a whole lot more grounded. Yes, they do disregard some of the basic principles of physics, but I could kind of see some of these things happening, despite the fact that with all the shrapnel and fire and flames that Dom doesn't even get a scratch on him, that is kind of where they lose me a little bit. But I felt like this one, like I said earlier, it got a little bit back more to their roots. Even with the cars, I think my favorite car out of this entire movie was the one that Charlize Theron's character drove. It was a DeLorean, so like a Back to the Future DeLorean with the doors that come up like gold wings. I thought that was a very unique car to be featured in this movie. If you weren't paying attention, you may have missed that one. The second favorite car was the one Tyrese Gibson's character drove. It was a gold Lamborghini, and I've never been a fan of Lamborghinis, but it was so extra and so over the top and so sparkly. I thought that was a really cool moment, and it's very rare in any movie that I get excited about a car being driven, but I felt like that was reminiscent of the early movies where you really did pay attention to that. This one got me thinking about the cars more, so I think it reminded me a lot more of the first time I saw The Fast and the Furious. And then it goes back to all the basic things that you expect out of a Fast and the Furious movie highly focused on family and the whole thing Jason Momoa's character is threatening Dom with is you have all this family but you can't protect them all how are you gonna choose and all throughout the movie there are these different situations where who are you gonna save you love both of these people now you got to make the decision so I felt like him in that mentality was a good kind of mind game from Dom and honestly, Vin Diesel in this movie was my least favorite thing. I just found myself questioning his character more and more. I don't even think he is that good of a dad to put his son in these situations. I feel like if child services wanted to come after him, they would easily be able to take his son away from him. And there were just certain things that I found off about his character. I kind of find him to be a little bit of a creep. One of his things that he does all the time is just stares at old pictures that is all he does, and he talks so comedically low that it almost felt like Vin Diesel was a caricature of himself talking so low. It was almost hard for me to understand him at times. 
So maybe he's just really playing into that. At one point, I just wanted him to go into Groot, like I am Groot, like like do that. People would freak out with that crossover. And if you wonder if you have to see any other Fast and the Furious movie going into this one, you really don't. You don't have to put yourself through that. There is one scene that feels very self-aware in this movie, and they reference all the things they have done, kind of like a quick recap of the entire franchise, how it went from them just being street racers to moving on to heists and stealing from 18 wheelers and then where they've gone from there so it does a little reset if for some reason you need backstory on this it's just so big dumb and fun that i don't think you have to overthink it so if you just want to go into this one completely blind i think that is totally fine the other thing i felt was lacking a little bit in this movie was the soundtrack with a movie that has had one of the biggest song moments in the last 10 years with see you again being such a global hit and used so well with that last movie with Paul Walker. I feel like in this soundtrack, they just kind of went to a sound library and drug over a bunch of songs that were public domain or royalty free and just kind of dropped them in. There was one song that I felt even came in at the wrong time. Like they had fully exported this entire movie and we're like, oh crap, we kind of messed up there. Let's keep it in. And my other question I had, all of these evil people want Dom dead. And in this movie, you get a look at where Dom lives. Dom doesn't even have a ring cam. He lives in a normal neighborhood. And to think that all these people are trying to murder him, and it's so easy just to break into his house, like, how have they not done that? They're like, join the list of people who want to take out Dom. Dom's door is unlocked. You could go right now. He's just in the back having a barbecue, drinking a Corona. So I would say... That these movies, I know they're going to wrap up with the next one coming out, not next year, but the year after that. With Dom being my least favorite part about this movie, they could easily continue these movies without Vin Diesel. And the last question I had after watching this movie is, what is up with all the titles to these movies? It started out in 2001, The Fast and the Furious. Great movie title. It's sexy. You know exactly what you're getting going into this movie. Then they downgraded a little bit in 2003 with Too Fast, Too Furious, just using the number. It was kind of like they asked the director's kid, hey, how, what do you want to name this movie? Too Fast, Too Furious. All right, we'll use it. And then in three, it's The Fast and Furious. So they eliminated the the and it's Tokyo Drift. That came out in 2006. It's all right. But then in 2009, it's just Fast and Furious. Like they're remaking the first one, take out the the Let's run it again. And then in 2011, you just get Fast Five, so they are no longer furious. But then in 2013, it's Fast and Furious Six. So no, the, the Furious is back. Okay, that's cool. And then in 2015, it's just Furious Seven. No longer Fast. They're just Furious. That sounds like an entirely different franchise. And then in 2017, it's The Fate of the Furious. That makes no sense. So they are just Furious now, and it's The Fate. Okay. Then you have Hobbs and Shaw, whatever, that's fine. And then you have F9, the Fast Saga from 2021. So that was just like, hey, look at the keyboard. What's your favorite key on your keyboard? I really like this F9, this function button. Let's name it that. So the entire branding in this franchise makes completely no sense. And then in Fast X, they throw in a Roman numeral when they've never used Roman numerals before. And they completely missed the mark. This movie should have been called Fast 10 the number 10, your seatbelts. But I will say, the thing I was the most surprised by after watching this movie is I was left wanting more. I didn't want the movie to end because when it ends, 
you want to know more. That That is all I'm going to say because I don't want to spoil anything, but Fast X will leave you wanting more. It delivered on the action. It fumbled on the acting. It was almost like the requirement to be in a fast movie is, do you have muscles? Yes. Are you very tan? Yes. Can you act? Yes. Okay, well, that's going to be a problem. Take away those acting lessons and we'll put you in the movie. Aside from that, and aside from Dom completely being a total caricature of himself and being totally off the rails, it did deliver on a very high level of being an entertaining movie. That is all I wanted this fast movie to be. And it felt a little bit less cheesy by buying into making the villain so kooky and off the wall and kind of funny and over the top. So I think that is what saved this movie. Jason Momoa, we need more of them. We need more fast action. So for Fast X, I give it 3.5 out of 5 burnouts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, 
and to expand your thoughts. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. Dun, 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 dun. Gotta talk about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Tom Cruise is back as Ethan Hunt. It is going to be the second to last Mission Impossible movie. The only thing I'm not feeling about this movie is the fact that it's being split into two movies. I always feel when they do that, you're getting half a movie. And I know why they do that, because it is the finale of this franchise. They want to split it into two but I feel like there's going to be some stuff left on the table. And whenever I go into a movie knowing I'm only going to get half of the story and it's going to probably end on some kind of a cliffhanger, this movie could legitimately end with him hanging off a cliff because he's doing all these crazy stunts. I just don't like knowing that going into it. I hate when any movie is made with just the intention to make a sequel, but I understand why they're doing it. And even though historically the Mission Impossible movies haven't been my favorite I think the first one is iconic in itself, and each one has been solid, but for some reason, it's just not my go-to action movie. Tom Cruise is just not my go-to action star, but I feel like he is the one pushing cinema right now to its boundaries and making movies for the big screen. So before I get into more of what I think about this movie based on this new trailer, here's just a little bit of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. The world's coming after you. His fate is written. Shall we write yours, too? If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written. So this movie is coming out on July 12th, and part two will come out on June 28th, 2024, so we have some time to wait in between these two movies. What really sticks out to me about this trailer is the skydiving stunt and the fact that Tom Cruise actually did it. He went through skydiving training. He went through motocross training. He did over 500 skydives, 13,000 motocross jumps to get this stunt down perfectly. And I watched the behind the scenes of this stunt, and they are calling it one of the most elaborate stunts in cinema history. And looking into all of the work, all of the science that went into nailing this jump, it's pretty remarkable that you put this much effort, spend this amount of money, put your A-list actor's life on the line, essentially, for just a mere seconds of the film. But it's so stunning and so eye-catching and so jaw-dropping that I think it is well worth it. I think the thing I'm the most blown away by, aside from the dedication to perform his own stunts, is Tom Cruise's ability to stay in character while doing these stunts. If I did anything remotely like this, the entire time I would just be focused on getting it right and not injuring myself, not hurting myself, basically not dying. But the fact that you have to perform this stunt and then also stay in character as Ethan Hunt remain cool calm and collective and look cool and pay attention to the cameras and you know make sure it looks good on film like that's a whole other level and as i'm watching this behind the scenes of this jump it's tom cruise on this motocross bike going up on this huge ramp going off of the cliff and then holding on to the bike as long as possible before letting go going into a free fall and then knowing exactly when to pull the cord on his parachute. The fact that it went so well the first time because of all this data and science that they put into it on the other end, 
But as soon as he's done with it the first time, immediately he is thinking on how to make this jump better. And he goes back and does it another six times. So it's crazy the amount of money they probably spent just getting this done right. And the fact that he was willing to go back for more to be able to hold on to the bike longer, to make sure he's hitting his mark better, to make sure he looks good on camera. That is just next level filmmaking. So it just doesn't feel like all the other reboots and all the other sequels because there's real filmmaking going into this movie. You have live locations, real stunts. It makes a difference when it feels like there is more on the line. And I think the other thing that really stands out is they are really trying to make a movie that gives you that feeling of excitement and that puts you in the action. We had that a lot in Top Gun Maverick with all of the camera placements that made you feel like you were inside the plane right there with the characters. It felt like you were going the speeds at which they were traveling. And I think based on the look of this trailer, that will be the same case with this movie with the camera angle being right up there on Tom Cruise's face as he is on this motorcycle. And the cameras they use in this movie, they said the technology inside of them was only developed in the last couple years. So I feel like we are getting something new and fresh that hasn't been done before. So for that reason, right now, I think Tom Cruise and Paramount are the best duo in cinema. They are the ones making these big action blockbusters, a genre that's not even my favorite, but I find myself being more and more excited about this movie. This trailer also contains his trademark of running. Nobody runs in a movie like Tom Cruise. The only problem I have with this trailer is some of the set locations feel a little bit repetitive in the sense that I've seen them a lot in movies recently. There is one scene in particular that takes place in Berlin at this famous roundabout. Big Hollywood movies always go to the same locations. I get you're trying to pick iconic famous locations that look good on camera, but it's a big world. Why not go to some new places that we haven't seen featured on film? I just saw it in John Wick Chapter 4. I've seen it in so many movies. Why not pick a different location? I also love seeing S.I. Morales as the bad guy in this movie. I know him mostly as being Bob, Richie Valen's brother in La Bamba. So as soon as I see his face on camera, I just want to scream, Richie! Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, again, is coming out on July 12th. I don't think it's going to have as much success at the box office as Top Gun Maverick. I think it will be comparable but there's a big difference in doing a sequel to a very beloved movie 30 years later and doing another installment in a franchise, which will make it the seventh movie. So I feel like the revenue won't be as much, but I think this will definitely be right up there in the highest grossing movies of the summer. And it's going to get a lot of people back into the theater, much like Top Gun Maverick did, who haven't been there in a long time. So I am all here for it. I like movies that pump up my adrenaline, so I will be there with my parachute on my back. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. But before I go, I got to give my listeners shout out of the week. You can get one of these by sending me an email, moviemikeD at gmail.com, sending me a DM on Instagram, or tweeting me at MikeDistro. This week's listener shout out is to Lexi, who sent me an email and said, Mike, as a fellow movie fan, I love the podcast and have been a dedicated listener from the start. I could swear at one point Kelsey mentioned doing an episode of her book reviews, too. I've listened to every episode and don't recall. Did I miss it? Thanks for all you do. Big fan of the Bobby Bones show, too. And I love when you have them do movie related games on the show. Signed, Lexi. Thank you for the email, Lexi. And yes, Kelsey did do a couple book episodes. We initially did one episode about books that should be turned into movies. 
And then at the end of last year, she did her top 10 books of 2022. So I will link those both in the podcast episode notes. So if you want to go listen to them, the links will be there for you. I know some other people too have asked about those episodes. If you missed any episode, I encourage you to go back through the backlog. New episodes every single week. If you missed the Broken Lizard interview with the guys from Super Troopers. If you missed the interview with the writer of the movie Air, which is available now on Amazon. If you've seen that movie now, you want to go back and check out that interview. Or one of the episodes I've been messaged about the most is the top things in movies that twist my nipples. So all that available for you here on the feed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being subscribed. Thank you for telling a friend. And until next time, go out and watch good movies, and I will talk to you later. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.